Morning, everyone. Merry Christmas to you all. It's great to see you all this morning. Please uh, bow with me as we just uh, just ask God for his blessing on this time now. Father, we want to thank you for this opportunity to open up your word together this morning to again reflect on the message of Christmas, and that is God has been born to us, a saviour has been born. Father, we want to ask that uh, you might uh, indeed just um, help our hearts to reflect upon a familiar story, but perhaps with new eyes today. Help us to uh, perhaps uh, see something in this that we may not have seen before that will actually help impress upon our hearts the enormity of what you did for us in Jesus Christ. And we ask this in his name and for his glory. Amen. Well, we're coming to uh, the end of another year, only seven days in the year left. And uh, I don't know about you, but you know, one of the things that uh, often comes up, particularly uh, in media and things like that, is they sort of reflect back on the year and sort of, you know, the year that was and memorable events and things like that. And it sort of got me thinking a little bit this year about that and perhaps considering some of the, uh, the really major and significant events that have sort of taken place, perhaps not just in this year, but perhaps in the last 100 years. And as I was thinking about that, some of the things that sort of came to mind was, uh, if we go back probably just over 100 years, you know, the, uh, the first flight of the Wright brothers back in 1903, that, uh, you know, that, uh, that flight changed the whole world in terms of uh, aviation and, uh, and, uh, and air travel and things like that. I think about uh, the World Wars, World War I and World War II, which uh, had a significant impact, an amazing impact on the world in, uh, in that day. Think about man walking on the moon. The fall of communism and the, and the, uh, the, the fall of the, uh, the Berlin War. The invention of the internet. Hasn't that changed the world? Yeah. And I think of perhaps going back even a bit, a bit further than that, maybe in the last 500 years or so, and we've seen things like the invention of the printing press and the steam engine and the combustion engine and things like uh, the uh, refrigeration and the light bulb and things like that, things that have incredibly changed and shaped our world like uh, I don't think people back in those days could ever have imagined the impact that they would have had. Yet when we think about it, there is no other event in human history that has shaped the world or had such a significant impact on the world than the one that we come and we remember and celebrate today, and that is the birth of Jesus Christ. And the reason for that is because his birth and his death and his resurrection has impact on the lives of every single person who has ever lived, and in fact every single person who will ever live. We're told in Luke's account of Jesus' birth that an angel appeared to some shepherds in the fields just outside of Bethlehem and announced this. He said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. A Saviour. A saviour. Think about that. Think about that word. What does that word mean? A saviour. Obviously it's one who saves, isn't it? But a saviour is someone who saves others. One who rescues others. You know, the Jewish people had, had for so long been expecting this promised saviour, this messiah, this king who would come. God had been promising it and then for about a 400 year period God was silent. 
And as that through all through that silence, the expectation grew and grew that, that maybe one day God would send this king, this Messiah king into the world to do away with all of Israel's enemies, to actually change their history, to change their, uh, their situation, to bring about uh, a new peace and a new prosperity for the nation. Unlike it had ever been seen until, you know, going back to the, the days of King David and King Solomon. This person in the Jewish people's mind would be this, this military, political kind of figure who would come and he would lead an army, he would conquer, he would defeat the major powers of the day and instead make Israel the dominant power. He would save them from their problems. He would save them from all the hardship that they are experiencing. He would bring light into their dark, dark worlds. Of course, in those days, you remember that the, uh, the Jewish people were under you know, heavy oppression by the Roman Empire. And the people were suffering. And it was a sad, sad situation for the Jewish people, for God's people. And I wonder you know, what was going through their minds at, the, at that particular point in time. Particularly, God had been silent for 400 years. Does God, ever, does God hear us? Does God understand our situation? Does God know the level of hardship and pain and suffering that we find ourselves in? If only he would send his saviour to rescue us. To change our fortunes. To make this world a better place for us. Boy. It's not that much different today, is it? As we live in our world today, we, we look, the, the world looks to, to, to things, to, to people who will, who will come and, and change the situation, who will bring about, you know, uh, the, the change for, for, for good and for better. I mean, we put our, our, our hopes and our dreams oftentimes in political figures, only to have them dash so quickly. You see, what God's people had failed to understand is that you know, God's kingdom would not be brought about through, uh, through might and through power, but instead through humility and through sacrifice. And that his kingdom would first and foremost be established in people's hearts and lives rather than in a political system. See, because as God looked down on his people, he saw their need, he saw their desperate need. But he knew that the greatest enemy that the people faced wasn't from without in the surrounding enemy nations and the, and the predicament that they found themselves in that day. But he knew that the greatest enemy that people faced was from within. And it's the same for us today. I was reading, interestingly enough, this week in a, uh, just a, a, a Facebook post about a person who had been struggling with, uh, with, with drugs in their life. And the devastation, the destruction that was, that, that had caused. And, and one particular comment struck me. It said, you know, people just need to be educated better. People just need to be educated better. But isn't that answer, isn't that the answer of our world today? More knowledge? Or more rules or less rules or more tolerance, you know, for one another? More wealth, more prosperity? Aren't these the answers that our world continually throws at us? That this will solve it. This will make the world a better place. And yet none of them seem to work, do they? None of them seem to work. 
God's word tells us that in fact it's not necessarily the external situations and circumstances that are our greatest enemy but in fact it is sin in fact sin God says is the cause of all of the world's problems and it is found and its source is found surprisingly enough here in the human heart Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And Jesus began his earthly ministry and started teaching the people about God's kingdom. He says in Matthew's gospel chapter 15, But what comes out of the mouth of a person actually first comes from the heart. It proceeds from the heart. And it is this that defiles or corrupts a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness and slander, to name a few. Jesus says these are the things that corrupt a person and they come from within. The Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome in the first chapter speaks about the fact that God has given incredible evidence of his existence. In chapter 1, verse 18, it says, you know, God's eternal attributes, you know, his, his power and his divine nature have all been seen in what he has made through the creation. We only need to look around about us to know that there is a God, a creator. And yet, Paul goes on to say that, uh, that having, uh, you know, giving, having given evidence of his existence, it says that mankind chose to ignore God chose to ignore it and instead chose to become their own gods following their own heart's desires. That is the essence of sin, folks. Us choosing to be our own gods and ignoring the one true God, the creator. So therefore we have two problems. God sees but we, all of us are in the same predicament. All of us have two problems. And that is first and foremost that we have hearts and lives that are corrupted and sinful. But also we have this desperate need to be reconciled to a holy God. So that we might receive eternal life through him. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6 verse 23 that the wages of sin that is that which is owing to us because of our sin is death not just a physical death though but a spiritual death and that is an eternal separation from God and all of his goodness you might remember many many years ago a um, movie called Dead Man Walking Without God, we are all dead people walking. The sentence of death hangs over our heads and our only hope is to be made right with God and to have our sins forgiven. So that God might come in and start to change that corrupted heart within us. That's why Jesus came. Because he was the only one who could accomplish this. 
In fact, his name, Jesus, points to this. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the angel says to Joseph, he says, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're betrothed. Mary is going to have a baby conceived by the Holy Spirit and you are to call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And at the end of this passage, we find that on the eighth day when the child was named, he was named Jesus, just as the angel had said prior to his birth. Why is Jesus the only one who could accomplish our salvation? Well, it's simply this, because he is both God and man. There is no one like him. There will never, ever be another person like Jesus. He is both God and man. He had to be born as a human being to identify completely with us. In Hebrews chapter 2 verse 17 says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. A priest's role was to act as a mediator between man and God to, to reconcile the two. And it says, And he did that by making propitiation for our sins. That is that he was the one who became the sacrifice who would turn God's wrath away from us. Because of our sin. And he did that by dying on the cross. As we heard earlier, John chapter 1 and verse 14 says, And the Word, the eternal Word who dwelt with God, who was with God in the beginning, who was God, became flesh and dwelt among us. Came in order to be with us. But he wasn't, just, he wasn't just man, he was also fully God, that he might be able to bridge the gap between us and God. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20 says, For in him all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven, or whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Making peace between us and God. And therefore only Jesus being God could live that perfect life of obedience to God and his law and then take upon himself all of the sins of the world and then bear the fullness of God's righteous judgment and wrath upon himself. And only someone who was both fully God and fully man could hope in that situation to bring man and God back together. Jesus is indeed God in the flesh, the second person of the Trinity, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Folks, this is, this is the, the incredible extraordinariness of the Incarnation. That God would take on flesh and come and enter into our world to show the extent of his love for each and every man and woman. He's not two gods or three gods. He's one God. But God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit... 
And in Jesus, God took on flesh. He didn't, he didn't appear to, to be like a man. He wasn't a man who became God-like, if you like, but he was both God and man together. That is the wonder of the incarnation. And without God, our situation is hopeless because we are walking in darkness. We are blind to God's truth. We are captives to our own sinful desires and our own sinful passions of our hearts. And we're headed for an eternity of separation from God, which the Bible speaks about of an eternity of suffering and torment. And so God in his great mercy and love stepped in. Or in fact, should I say, he actually stepped down. God stepped down. And God, through the angel, did not say, you're a mess, get it together. God, through the angel, did not say, did not come and say, it's time you guys cleaned up your act. God, through the angel, did not come and say, you need to try harder. But no, through the angel, God came and said, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, the town of Bethlehem, a Saviour has been born. He is Christ the Lord. So it's not about us trying to earn our way up to God because that's impossible. We cannot do it. But instead it is God stepping down and saying, Here, I have come to save you. I have come to help you. He came down from heaven to earth in order to reveal himself and in order for it to be made possible for us to be reconciled to him for our sins, to be forgiven, for us to be adopted into God's family and to receive all the blessings that come with that. To live lives that are no longer slaves to our desires and those passions that rule within us. He came that we might be set free from the curse of death and to know life in all of its fullness and the assurance that our eternal future is secure forever and ever and ever. That's what Jesus came to do. Folks, this is what Christmas is all about. God entering into our world to shine his light of his love and his truth into our darkness, into our dark world to show us that there is a better way of living that can start now and a life that will continue on into eternity long after our earthly bodies have been destroyed. God has made possible a way of reconciliation with himself to bring peace. Boy, isn't that what our world needs? But deeper down, isn't that what our hearts need? We all need that peace with God. And through that peace, we receive hope that we can belong to him that he will be our Heavenly Father, that he will love us and he will watch over us and care for us. And through that, knowing that God is with us forever and ever and ever will bring joy. 
That's what the angel was pronouncing. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for you and for all the people. God's saviour has come. Folks, this is the best news ever. The best news that you could ever hear, that your ears, your heart could ever hear. That God loves you and he's come to save you. His way of salvation has been made known and it has been secured in Jesus Christ. And so all that is up to us is to receive it as a gift. Like we would receive any gift at Christmas with thanksgiving and to take that gift and to unwrap it and make it a part of our lives. To make Jesus a part of our lives. To recognise that we indeed need God, like our song that we just sang a few moments ago. That we need God to forgive us. That we need God to come and enter into us through his Holy Spirit, to change us and to transform us and to give us the power and the ability in order to be able to say no to the way of this world and to the corruption and the destruction that sin causes and instead say yes to God and I want to follow you as, as sinful and as faulty as I am, knowing that you will always love me and I will always be yours. And of course, in that, to live a life of worship. When the shepherds heard that good news of the angels, they went, they went to that place, to that little home in Bethlehem, and there, just as the angel had told them, they found this baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And they bowed down and worshipped. And then they went and told the world. They went and told everyone whom they could tell, you know what's just happened? We've just had angels appear to us saying the Messiah has been born, God's Saviour has been born, and we've seen him for ourselves. We've seen him with our own eyes. It's great news of good, of, of good news of great joy. And it's for all of us. It's for all of us. May the wonder of God's love May the joy of the peace that God has made possible through Jesus Christ fill your hearts this Christmas and beyond. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you this morning for Jesus Christ. A saviour indeed. Our saviour. And that if we come to him and admit our need for him, recognising that he alone is the only one who can save us from our sins, if we accept his free gifts, and bow before him. We can know that our sins are forgiven, that we can be reconciled to you and that our future can be changed completely and forever. We thank you for this good news today. May it truly be good news in our hearts. But it can only be that if we accept Jesus as Saviour and Lord. We pray that you help us to do that in his name. Amen.